You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. I said the same thing in the first service, and and I'm going to say it again, not because it's the thing that I'm just repeating. It is uh, equally beautiful and awesome and exciting exciting, uh, to see everybody in person. It's also really weird. (laughs) <laughs> just seeing the masks and the disparity between us and just the space. So I get what Lyle's been talking about. Um, but whether you're here in person or online still, welcome. Blessings to you. I love seeing my church uh, during this season, especially during this season right now. Uh, it's trying. It's hard. It's weird. And I can look up and I can see the smiles in your eyes, and um, that's what I'm reading them as, at least. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm encouraged just because I'm around other brothers and sisters, and that's a blessing. So, welcome. Um, what is it, been? maybe two weeks or so? Uh, as Ashley mentioned, uh, my name is Jordan Goings. I'm one of the ministers here, and uh, Lyle had asked me just a couple of weeks ago, uh, if I would preach, and I, I got excited, I was, I was, yeah, I would love to. That'd be, it'd be awesome. And then we spent some time just kind of <clears throat> working through uh, what the texts are going to look like. And then uh, I didn't think much of how he had broken up Philippians two, verses one through four. We we went over last week, and then he came in to the office right before he, he went up here to preach, and he said, "It just kind of hit me that I'm probably going to steal a lot of your thunder and a lot of your content." And I thought, ah, you're fine. And then I went back to looking at my notes, and I thought, oh, you are. That's that's right. (laughs) Um, So we're looking at verses 5 through 11 today. And here's why I say that about the content. 1 through 4 is what to do. 5 through 11 is here's an example of that. Obviously, it's way more than that. But my first thought was actually some panic. I felt very comfortable with this. Until he said that, I thought, well, what am I going to say then? <laughs> and even during his, his sermon last week, I'm just taking notes. It was great content. And, uh, but I had this pressing kind of like fear of what then? You know, what, what, off, what offering am I going to uh, bring to the church? And I was stoked and I was excited and that turned to nervousness. And I thought, what a great place to talk about Humility. From a place of nervousness, from a place of I don't know, from a place of what content? Now, I want you to rest assured that there is some content here, and I think I know what I'm talking about somewhat, so we have some prep work done. But I think that is the posture, though, that that Paul is calling us to in Philippians, is just to be open-handed and say to God, I don't know. That's the beauty of what God calls us into with a relationship with him. This is like a paradox. Come to me and do these things, like have this, have this energy to come repent to me, but I will give you the, the energy to accomplish that repentance. I will give you the supplement that you lack. I will, I will bless you as you're not currently blessed without me. And so 
That being said, I would like to just kind of open us up in prayer. If you would just bow your heads and let's just go to the Lord and just ask him to bless our time together and to, to supply us with what we need. Father, there's so much in a text like this and at the same time, there's so little time and there's just so many finite limitations to us on how we can actually do this well and show up in our lives uh, with this content. So my prayer today, at least, is that you would bless us and our hearts and our mind to receive you wholly, completely, that anything spoken even from me that is, that is of no profit for your word here, that I pray that it falls on deaf ears. And everything that your spirit has from these words, God, would find fertile soil and bless us. So in a posture of open-handedness, we call you to just meet with us today. In Christ's name, amen. So um, you've probably noticed as we're moving into Philippians, we have this kind of, uh, last week we talked about this. So I'm going to carry that on, but I'm going to go further and say, let's start in Genesis <laughs> We're not going to cover everything to get to Philippians 2, I promise. But I wanted to start with Philippians 11, verses 1 through 9. And if that rings a bell, that's the Tower of Babel or Tower of Babylon story. If you're unfamiliar or it's been a while, here's the story. These people are traveling and they land in this one spot that they thought would be just a good central location for them. And they said, literally, this is the words given to us, uh, let us... Make a name for ourselves. And so famously, they build a tower. But they build a city. They even, it talks about how they learn to make bricks the certain way, but then they move on to making the city, and they're like, let's just keep it going. Build a tower and erect, it, erect this tower as, as high as we can, all the way to the heavens, so that the world will know us. And I had a professor say this is one of the most intriguing lines in Scripture to him, this next thing. It says, God noticed what they were doing and said, look at the unity they have, the oneness of language and the oneness of personhood. They're working as this like kingdom. And here's the, here's the phrase that really caught him. And it's pretty baffling if you think about it. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. This is God still speaking. Come, let us go there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another. God shows up, very, very similar to another story. There's people doing their own things, trying to elevate themselves to a place of essentially God. And he says, hey, what are y'all doing? Where are y'all at? Like Adam and Eve in the garden. And he comes in from the outside of that narrative, from the outside of those decisions. And he comes into this, in this specific story, and now there's confusion. Let us confuse their language so that they will not understand one another. If there's not a great line to kind of describe our cultural milieu right now, our, our own current culture, if there's not a better one, I, I mean, if there's a better one, I don't know what it is. This, 
This speaks loudly to us. Here's the deal. I believe that the story actually happened. That's a literal story in, in Genesis. Um, it's true. I think, though, that it serves very poignantly as a metaphor for us, though, too, as humans, that we build up towers. We build up towers to have a God's eye view. We build up towers to essentially look down on others and let them know us. To, to build up a tower to say, I have these perspectives you need. Build up towers to be in the center. To be in the know. To be seen. To make a name for ourselves. I would say that this is really no different than that very first temptation. If you eat from that tree, you'll have all the knowledge. You'll be like God. Eat from that tree. Be in the know. Be seen. Be central. Knowledge is great. Knowledge is important. Knowledge is necessary. It is rightly the currency of our culture right now. And not just here in America. You can't get a job really without knowing what you're doing. And even then, they're like, well, you got to go through training. <laughs> we got to make sure you know how to do this stuff. And if you keep dropping the ball, you might lose your job, essentially because you're out of the know. So it's not that knowledge is the problem by any means. But it's temptation to be a means of leaving God outside as timeless. It happened from the beginning, and it's still happening on Facebook to use knowledge in a very autonomous way to be seen, to look down on, and to make a name for ourselves. So, I don't, I don't really, even when Lyle mentioned this the other day, I, I don't stand here presuming to know anything and not to sound and give a cop-out answer here except to pre preach Christ and Him crucified. That is 5 through 11. So what do we do with 5 through 11? This, this, this example passage of our exemplar showing us how to do the things of verses 1 through 4, which now I'll give you that reminder. 1 through 4 simply is, don't do anything conceitedly or out of selfish ambition, but think of others as more important. As it doesn't say think of others, right? Sometimes I think we just kind of put an ellipsis there and forget the rest, but think of others as more important than yourselves. How do you do that? What's your motivation? How do you have the energy to even accomplish that? When we come from a lineage of tower builders and fruit pickers, disobeyers and prideful, prideful people, right? That's us. That's me. What do we do? So here's, here's what I want to do with this passage. It's called the Christ poem. I just want to take, uh, just simply look at three things. What does the text say? What does it teach us about ourselves? And what does it teach us about God? That's it. So let's look at the text. If you have your Bible with you, uh, there should be one close by in a chair maybe. 
Uh, maybe not. Anyways, feel free to get your Bible ready. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Paul starts, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. This attitude, that's your example. You know, what would Jesus do, right? And, and a lot of people say, well, that's hard because Jesus walked on water and Jesus did all these types of things. Well, okay, so yeah, he did some awesome things. He also taught amazing wisdom and knowledge, right? And the parables and the Sermon on the Mount. But what Paul's calling us to is an attitude, not a truth statement, not a set of propositions that we have to have memorized. He's calling us here, at least, to accomplish this goal to an attitude, a posture of the heart. In verse 6, he says, who, that is Jesus Christ, right, our exemplar, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. As another verse says, exploited, or another translation says exploited. I've even seen another translation say, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be understandable. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is, right, the death reserved for the worst of the people. And he was the best of the people. So another way you might spin this is he died... Even death on a cross, he was obedient to the point of, the death, of death. Even a death of himself that consisted of people thinking something untrue about him. That he was willing to die as the man who had every right answer, every good thought, every perfect way to exemplify justice, and he died with people saying the opposite about him. You see, his death when Christ walked that road with the cross, got nailed up, and suffered a long time. Every second he could have, as Satan implied earlier in these stories, he could have had his angels take him down or protect him. He could have immediately just said, I'm done with this. Here's who I am. Here's me in all my glory. And it probably would have rocked them, right? God has shown up and rocked some people like Isaiah. The first thing Isaiah is able to say is, woe is me, I'm unclean when he sees God. Or Ezekiel, I don't even know how to explain the light and beauty that I see with these chariot and wheels that seem on fire. And just, he didn't know what to say. And then Moses, even a bush on fire this is, this is sacred. This is holy. He could have done that, and he instead, he, his death seems more worried about showing us truth rather than over-articulating it. And I think that needs to sink in in our culture. That he lived in this moment rather than argued. 
that he chose to be present and centered and stand for a certain posture of heart rather than shame with logic or propositional validity or rightness of argument or whatever other fancy way you want to say that. How often he probably heard a wrong saying or truth about himself from that cross from others. He let his action speak. When I was writing this, I just kept thinking of the phrase, this is really heavy. That's heavy. That's heavy. And I thought, where is that? Who says that? It's Marty McFly, if you don't know. And I thought, that's weird. (laughs) But I just keep coming back to that phrase. This is heavy if we let it sink in. We can't fathom what it's like to be God. We can't fathom God fully. We have no tower to look down from. We have no perfect argument of all things true. We have no omniscience, right, as the all-knowingness of God. We have no omniscience or even awareness of all that's true. We can't grasp his godship. What can we grasp? Right? So the text is telling us, you can't, you can't get this, but here's what you can get. Here's what you can understand as humans. Servitude. Not because he knows, oh, these are humans. They're the most humble, loving people in the world. They love serving people. No, it's because that's really the only thing we can contribute ever (laughs) is to serve another person because we are no kings or queens. We're human. We're broken. We're low. He says, so I'll come in humanity. I'll come as a servant, and I'll show them how to do that well. But if you think about that, that's like a passive thing. I'm going to just be a human. You just kind of let that be part of your definition. Sometimes it's hard to act in that. But then it goes on to say our exemplar, our model, went on that he then humbled himself. He acted. He chose an action called obedience. That the action that we see from Christ goes even further from just limitations and awareness of his humanity or of our humanity. He then chooses to go even further and just empties himself further and shows what humility looks like, which is not being the right person in the room at all times, the funniest person in the room at all times. Now, he corrected the disciples. Don't get me wrong. There is a place for knowledge. But I think we hang on that. And when we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Paul is very explicitly telling us here, be humble, die. And I bet, you know, I was raised in the church. We've heard these stories of the martyrs for years, for, for I mean, centuries, right? And we can look at those and say, yeah, if I'm ever called to be martyred, I'm, I'll do it. That's awesome. We're not in a martyrdom kind of culture. (laughs) It's easy to say that. But if you think about the torture and pain, dying to self and letting someone else think that they're right for a moment and just showing love to them 
is nowhere near being crucified and ripped apart. But yet we can't do that. That's hard. We struggle. He actively chose to humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of dying to self. It's one thing to be aware of your limitations and accept that you're human. That's the first verse of this little section. The next is to then act upon it. It's another to choose to die to self. It's, it's another to choose to die to certain ambitions you have in life when, when the rest of your, your story right now in life won't let you do that. Maybe you have dreams, but you, you can't achieve those dreams because of maybe debt or family life or other things. It's hard to die to that ambition for the season. Maybe, maybe you have to die to it forever. Maybe to certain rights. At a, a teacher I worked with for a while, I said the Constitution is one of the greatest things ever written, like logically, and it's a beautiful document. I don't get my identity from it, and he thought the same. He, you don't get your identity from it, but what is it like to die to our rights, our rights to be heard? Can we do that? How about this one? It's another to choose to die to certain perceptions from others, to let other people think certain things of you. You can live your testimony and let that stand, but some people just won't see it. You can make your arguments all day long, but some people just won't read it or listen. What then? Do you then start to erect your own tower to make a point? No, I got it. I got it. This person needs to know I'm a Christian. This, this person needs to know where I stand with this certain theological point. So I'm going to go out of my way and spend my whole day constructing this perfect thing so that they can see. You know, I stand. And that kind of ties to this one. Can you die to yourself and die to making a name for yourself, even if it's under the guise of to bolster your Christian testimony? Because I see a lot of people, myself included, throughout their life, sometimes say, well, I got to be this kind of way because I'm a Christian. And to not be faithful to letting people know what I think of them, <laughs> well, that's not true. That's not what I believe inside. So I need to tell this person that they're a jerk, <laughs> that they're rude, that they're wrong. So I'm going to go out of my way and just keep saying that. I'm a Christian. I can do that. So again, truth, knowledge is needed. But what's the attitude? It's all about the posturing of the heart in those moments. Are you okay to walk into that conversation knowing you might not be received that way? That's probably a safe way to start that, co that conversation where you do want to share your testimony. You do want to share the knowledge and truth that you've seen. Or do you feel a little angsty about that? Do you feel uneasy? What if you don't get credit? What if you don't get them to like you? I would say you're stepping out of that one posture, moving into another about making a name for yourself. It's a thin line. It's hard. So here's, here's what we, we have. We have this rundown through chapter or through verse 8, and then 9 picks up. Christ was able to do that. He was able to do that perfectly. And then we have 9. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, 
So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His is the only name that needs to be on top of the, the tower. We get to be citizens of that kingdom. That's the theme of Philippians. What does it look like to be a citizenship of heaven or to, to have citizenship? in heaven, in, in God's kingdom. But that's not to say that there's no blessing for you, Christian. Know that. This might sound like a whole bunch of hard work and dying to self is not fun. And what makes me smile when I walk out of this thinking, you know, like, how do I do this? How do I want to do this? It's in here. Here's what the passage teaches us about ourselves. And I want to look at what the, t- the passage teaches us about God. True humanity is in, accepting, is in accepting our limitations, our brokenness, our lowliness, our servitude, and being seen as the last, the least, the lowest. And, and I can't stress enough, Christian, that this is the freedom. This is your freedom that Christ endured all this perfection for. You can rest. You can rest with your brokenness, with your limitations. Don't hear this as you can rest with your sin, keep sinning. No. You will fail and know that you can hold your head up and it's okay. Christ expects that. He died for it. There is a rest of that yoke being taken off of us that gives us a freedom and a levity of heart that we can just smile and say, yeah, I screwed up. I wish I hadn't. Okay, let me try again. Let me start over. You can rest from trying to have it all together. You can rest from being, trying to be the perfect parent. You can rest from trying to be the perfect spouse or coworker, or sage teacher, or empathetic counselor, you can rest from trying to be the perfect version of all those, and you can just be you doing life. That's what you're freed to. And I think because that's so big and also simple, We want more to do. We're like, no, 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 I need more to help me with my freedom. (laughs) So God, who created truth and order and justice, looks at us and says, you can't do these things. I'm going to do it for you so that you can live free in my, as a citizen in my, my kingdom. Rest, knowing I am seeking you out to bring you in to this kingdom, knowing what you can't do for us. There is a joy in that. Here's what it teaches us about God. He has a plan. He has a plan. Jesus was prophesied back in Genesis 3. First sin happens immediately. Okay, here's the plan. We're going to redeem y'all. We're going to fix this. We're going to restore all this. And it's going to be through this Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to have to die. But he's going he's to crush death. It's going to be great. And then ever since Genesis 3, we have all these stories about that happening. The glorified 
name of the Messiah has been talked about ever since that prophecy. And this passage is why. It's walking us through, step by step, why he gets that glory. He's able to be just perfect humility, perfect selflessness, because that's what we were called to be. We struck out in the garden, and then we struck out with all kinds of other stories like Babel. We continue to elevate ourselves above others. God knew that. He said, all right, I got this. We'll take care of it so that you can come back to me. So I, I want to encourage that you also learn from this passage. He is glorified because you can't do these things. And he invites you to be partakers of that. He calls you in, knowing that we stray away like Adam did. Adam, where are you? Or that the Babel builders, the tower builders did. Hey, what are y'all doing? We step out and he realigns us. You are lovable, is what that says. Sin is real. Sin is a plague. Sin will be with you until you die. But for some reason, we start and end with that we are sinners. Christ completed it. <laughs> yeah, start with the fact that you're a sinner. 1 Corinthians 1 says, he didn't just call you, and he didn't just justify you, which kind of wipes away that sin. He's glorified you. Past tense. You are worth it to God. So I want to say this phrase again. You are lovable. The gospel message is about saving you. It's about glorifying God all day through Christ, for sure. We wouldn't have good news if there weren't bad news to begin with. And what's the bad news? Mankind stepped out of Eden. We took it on ourselves, and we need help. Hence, good news for us. Jesus endured all of this above. Yet what do we do? We pretend that he didn't endure the mocking, the ridiculing, the beatings, the being called a fool. He was called a heretic. He was called a liar. And for some reason, we take that upon ourselves to shout at one another about how much we're not liars or heretics or whatever else. He endured this with humility. So here's my question. If Christ came to us sitting on a throne of glory that Isaiah, when he gets called up to heaven and is just overwhelmed by how many angels are circling and singing, holy, 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 all he can say is, woe is me. That kind of glory, Christ decides I need to show them humility and brokenness. And he chooses to step into that kind of life. So if he can come to us in that way of humility, why, why do we expect to come to him or anybody else for that matter in any other way? And that's myself included. When I, you know, 
get mad at my kids. Well, getting mad at your kids is like the nice way of saying it. We yell, right? And then we don't tell people we yell and we act like we're fine and everything's good. Or the same with a spouse. Oh, yeah, we're just kind of arguing. Well, yeah. <laughs> How loud were you arguing? Right, we're broken. We're selfish. We're prideful. And sometimes we snap and come out sideways and it's horrible. And we act like we don't. I just want to remind you, you're lovable. And you're in like company. So why would we talk to other people as if we got it all figured out? We're broken people just looking for our Savior to mend us and bring unity back. I like how this one author says it. He says, our greatest fulfillment, this is to Christians, so the greatest thing is our salvation, but to step into feeling fulfilled and feel like you're thriving, he says, the greatest fulfillment lies in giving ourselves to others. Or another way, the greatest impact you can have on someone, on anybody, is for them to see that you can wrap your heart and mind around the idea that you are broken but beloved in Christ. And if you can sit with that weird tension, if you think about that kind of paradox, that you are broken but equally loved, and if you could take that and live from that, people will feel it. They want that. Because those are the... That's the one trait we all experience, brokenness, and that's the one heart we all want to be loved. I don't know. I don't know what this speaks to our culture. I don't know what to do for our culture and the shambles that it's in. I, I don't even know what to do for the church down the street or the other way. You know, I know us. Not well. I'm new still, I feel like. But um, I know us. And... I know who we are. Guys, and y'all know this, right? You don't have to look for but five minutes to see divisions here. And I don't want to say America, and I don't want to say Kentucky or Louisville. I'm saying J-Town Church. We have divisions strong. Divisions about... Black lives matter, all lives matter, blue lives matter. We have divisions about who we're voting for and what that says about us. We have divisions about when certain parts of our ministries are going to open back up. We have divisions about masks. And when I say divisions, I hope you hear the the weight of that. I'm talking about ostracizing words. We have a couple passages that teach us that we're allowed and permitted to eat meat sacrificed to idols or drink alcohol if the conscience is okay with it. But if you're doing these things around someone that has a problem, it doesn't say claim your rights over them. Um, It says enjoy in the privacy of your own home for the sake of that person. 
I just I want to carry on affirming what Lyle's been doing, a great job affirming. You're free to have the convictions you have. We are not the Holy Spirit. I just want to ask you to love well in the process. Hold space well. And I would imagine if you can't look a certain person in the eye that attends your same worship service without feeling a trigger or something coming up, that's something that needs to be worked out and looked at quickly. Or it's going to erode something beautiful that takes dying. You see, I, I list these things, right? It's not about the masks, wherever mine is, I don't know. Uh, it's not about these, right? Take it off, you know, demand, hey, I'm not saying take it off, uh, but demand, uh, you know, to, hey, you should wear your mask or this or this person say, hey, you should take your mask off. Okay, cool. Either one of those were to happen, guess what? We are still wearing masks all day long. With our children, our spouses, our best friends that are supposed to be the people we say, hey, come, come in, hold me accountable, help me. We put up a wall. Obviously with God, Right? We have masks of rightness, masks of knowledge, mask of having it all togetherness, if I can make up phrases. To take them off does feel like death. That's scary. It's exposing, right? What was the knowledge, the only bit of knowledge that we got from Adam and Eve when they ate? Oh, we're naked. Let's cover up. Put some masks on. We're vulnerable, we're insecure, we're weak. So let's go back to Babel for a minute. I wonder, everybody like nodded really well when I brought up Babel. Like it's a weird story to bring up for Philippians 2, but thank you for entertaining that. I want to talk about why now. Here's the deal, right? We... we our reality is this. We continue to use currencies like knowledge and justice. They're good things. But we use them to validate our status. But ultimately, to validate who we are, our identities. And then we say, well, it's a truth that comes from Christ. So really, I'm getting my identity from Christ. But are you? In that moment? When we live in such a way, we're mentally divorcing ourselves from the attitude and the posture. That's all I'm trying to offer here. That we were called to model an attitude. That's it. We can know the letter of the law inside out, but right, we know where this is going. Are we upholding the spirit of it? Are we showing the spirit? Are we exemplifying the spirit of grace that the law was written for? And I get on Twitter and Facebook and even Instagram, which is about pictures, and somehow I walk away feeling condemned from Christians. 
when we have that token phrase, there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I was asked not too long ago, you're a minister. Why do you post so many random memes and things like that? I'm like, well, nothing else matters on Facebook right now. (laughs) It's not true. I could be posting better things. But I just don't want to get in these little food fight one-liners with people. And I was recently. And both my friend and I wept over it. Because what image does that show? Not not Philippians 2. Here's the beauty. The great author loves bookends. So God gives us a story in Genesis about mankind doing some awesome things to to work for a kingdom devoid of God. God comes in, uses language to bring dissonance and confusion and distance between one another. Fast forward to Acts 2. A group of people are scared, worried, lonely because their Messiah ascended. They came together for one purpose. We have very little written about what they were doing before Pentecost. And all we have is they prayed together. That is inviting God in. And here, Pentecost famously, God unites his people through the Spirit, but uses language in that story and gives languages so they can understand each other again. It's summer. People travel, people see family. We have social media, we have coffee dates, we have whatever. How are you showing up in those? Are you trying to be seen as, I've made it, I have it all together, I'm right, you're wrong? Or are you saying, hey, I don't even know, I have a conviction, I don't know how to articulate it well, or I don't even know if I have the right conviction about this. Can we talk? Can we maybe agree to disagree well? We say that phrase flippantly. That takes the action, not a passive, right? A passive role that takes an active movement into humility and obedience to the point of a death of something. So, I want to give you an opportunity to do that just with God right now. So, can I just have everybody just close their eyes? And I know there's kids in the room, and that's hard. <laughs> and maybe it's hot, and maybe it's loud, or maybe whatever. I don't know. And that, you might open your eyes. I'm just asking you to be in the spirit of this for a moment. And at home, the same thing. You know, we've got busyness and distractions all around us. So have grace for yourself. But here's what I'm asking.
ask God to come into your story for a moment. Make space for God right here. And I'll give you like a minute. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Ask him to bless what's going on inside. And if you don't know what's going inside, ask him to reveal what's going on in your heart. And here's the challenge. After you ask that, sit still with him. Let him speak. Let him sit with you. Take a moment. Tell him about your negative, hard, difficult, trying things in life. Maybe you're angry at something or sad and brokenhearted. Maybe you're ashamed of something or scared. Bring those up to him and give him some time to hold you, to speak to you. Just rest with him. Now tell him about what's joyful in your life right now. Tell him what you're excited about. Bring him in on that. Delight in your Lord for these moments. Christian, you can rest because of Philippians 2. Pray with me. Father, thank you for being a good God who is all things true, just, and beautiful. When we fail to uphold those things, thank you for having already done it. Teach us how to live free and not under the weight of laws of having to be something for someone, but God, teach us how to be obedient in our attitude to just love people well, to hear them, hold space for them, look them in the eyes, and hear their heart despite what words they say on accident or not or whatever difference there might be that we love well. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.